Mean Old Lion Media presents Pregnancy Pearls. Meet Dr. Nicole Plenty, a double board certified OBGYN and high risk pregnancy expert. She's brilliant, well researched, and feisty. Growing tired of seeing complications of pregnancy that could have been prevented, she wanted a way to empower women through knowledge. Because as she says, all doctors aren't created equal. This quest to educate women birthed this podcast, Pregnancy Pearls, with Dr. Plenty. Thanks for listening to Pregnancy Pearls Podcast with me, Dr. Nicole Pliny. So how have you guys been so far now that we are a month into 2024? Yep, I know you're looking up and you're like, oh my God, is it February already? Yep, today is the first day of February, which kicks out, guess what? Heart Health Month. Now, heart health, for Heart Health Month, of course, we have to address heart disease because a lot of people have it. So I figured we would talk about it on this first episode in February. So let's talk about what, what do we mean when we say heart disease. So some people are referring to cardiac disease. Some people are referring to cardiovascular disease. And so we're going to break down what we actually mean by um, heart disease, who it affects, and then what it means exactly in pregnancy. So if we're talking about heart disease or cardiac, cardiovascular disease in pregnancy, it's really, it's rare, but it is the leading cause of death in pregnancy in the United States and it's the leading cause of death globally in and out of pregnancy. It is the leading cause of why we are leaving this earth. According to the World Health Organization or the WHO, there's an estimated 7.9 million people who die from cardiovascular disease. Um, and that was in the year of 2019 alone. This represents 32% of all global deaths. And of these deaths, 85% of these were due to heart attacks and strokes. So let's look at the risk factors for heart disease. So if we can control these risk factors, y'all, that means we can decrease our risk of having heart disease and stroke and heart attack. Okay, so anything we can do to reduce our risk is what we want to do. And, and again, this is in and out of pregnancy. These are risk factors. If you have high blood pressure, particularly if the blood pressure is not well controlled, that puts you at high risk for having heart disease itself. If you have high cholesterol, if you smoke, if you have diabetes, particularly, again, if it's not well controlled, you're at high risk. Just being obese puts you at high risk for undiagnosed underlying heart disease. Having an unhealthy diet. So, yeah, you like fried chicken. You may have some underlying vascular disease, which puts you at risk for cardiovascular disease. If you have physical inactivity, like you're not walking around, you're not moving around, um, you lack cardiac activity because you, your heart's not exercising. And then, of course, if you drink excessive alcohol, that also puts you at risk for heart disease. Now, there are a ton of different types of heart disease. And depending on what source you look in, we'll categorize these types a little bit differently. Um, sometimes you'll see 13 types of heart diseases. Sometimes you'll see six. Sometimes you see four. Today, we're going to break these down into the main four types of heart disease. So the first type is coronary artery and vascular disease, okay? And these are due to just what it is. It is hardening of the arteries or vascular disease at the level of the vasculatures or the vessels. And we have hardening of the arteries that's called atherosclerosis, okay? This type of heart disease happens when the arteries in your heart are narrowed or blocked. It's the most common kind of heart disease. 
and the cause of most heart attacks, as well as when you have pain when you exert yourself or pain with exercise. And when you have pain, that's called angina, right? Because those vessels that are feeding blood to the actual heart muscle can spasm or they're blocked. So you're not getting good blood flow to supply the muscle of the heart. And that causes you to have pain. Now, vascular disease, that's a problem with the vessels. And if you have problems with the vessels, it's going to reduce blood flow through those vessels, which can then affect the heart function because you're not supplying the heart itself. Okay. It can also affect blood from the heart because those vessels are more constricted and they're narrower. So then the tissues um, downstream from the heart do, do not get enough oxygen, which you're not getting enough blood flow. Red blood cells deliver oxygen. Then you're not getting enough oxygen. So that is your, your most common type of heart disease because it's the most common reason that you have heart attack. The second type of heart disease is heart disease from abnormal rhythm or arrhythmias. Okay. These are heart rhythm disorders and they're caused because the heart has a signal that's firing that's causing it to be too fast or causing the heart to be too slow. Okay. And so that means that your heart, instead of pumping at a regular interval in a regular fashion, beat to beat, predictable, there are these unpredictable beats that are just firing, 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 right? And that means that if you have these unpredictable beats, your heart is not squeezing rhythmically. And if your heart is not squeezing at a certain pace, then you're not getting good blood ejected from the heart. Okay. You're getting partial objection, objective, uh, you're getting partial ejections of blood from the heart. Okay. That puts you at risk for passing out. It puts you at risk for fainting because it disrupts blood flow to the brain and to the rest of the body. Okay. And there are millions of Americans, Canadians, people worldwide that experience heart rhythm disorders that disrupt blood flow. Okay. And when we talk about arrhythmias, there are a lot of different types of arrhythmias, right? There's tachycardia, which is when your heart rate is too fast. There's bradycardia, which is when your heart rate is too slow. That are premature ventricular contractions, which is when your there's an extra signal that signals the, the ventricles or the, the bottom part of the heart that feels to pump too fast before the heart properly feels. There's arrhythmias that allow the top part of the heart to contract and not the bottom part of the heart. So there are different types of arrhythmias that allow for dysfunctional pumping of blood. And this can lead to all of a sudden, sudden cardiac arrest. Okay. So we need our heart rhythm to be normal so that we don't experience a, a sudden arrest of the rhythm. Then you have a heart disease that's caused by structural heart defects. Okay. Or abnormalities in the heart structure itself. This includes problems with the valve. So you have, you have the mitral valve, you have the aortic valve, you have the pulmonary valve, you have the tricuspid valve. Okay. If any of those valves are abnormal, okay, then you can have leaking of the of blood back into the heart. You can have issues with blood coming into the heart. So we need to make sure your valves are normal. Okay. So you can have abnormalities with the valves itself. And that's why you may hear, hear people that need a heart valve replacement, okay, because of that, okay? You can have issues with the actual muscle of the heart. So in pregnancy, I diagnose people, babies, that may have a, one ventricle of the heart, 
or may have a thickened left side of the heart, okay, me hyperventricular left heart syndrome, okay? That's just a thickening of the left side of the heart. And eventually it may become so thick that there's not room enough for blood to go in and out of that side, okay? So the thickening of the heart. Some of these congenital defects are meaning defects with development of the heart that occurs very, very early in pregnancy. We're talking five, six weeks of pregnancy. We may not see it until 18 to 20 weeks, but it happens at five to six weeks of pregnancy. These things may require some simple surgeries and some of them may require major surgery. And guess what? People then get these surgeries and they grow up and they then have children. But that doesn't negate the fact that they have structural heart disease okay, and need to be monitored closer throughout their life and when they become pregnant. Okay, You can also have heart, de heart defects or structural issues with the heart due to wear and tear, meaning you have uncontrolled high blood pressure and now your heart is enlarged or one side of the heart is more dilated because it's overfilling and the heart's not pumping properly to allow blood out. And so the heart gets larger and larger and larger. That's called cardiomyopathy or an enlarged heart, okay? Which means that the heart is not functioning properly because of that enlargement. Some people may have issues that are familial. So you may have issues in your family that predispose you to certain heart disease or structural issues that can develop later on. So they can be acquired um, because of, of family issues with genetics, or it could be because of an infection you've had that has affected the muscle of the heart and damaged certain muscle of the heart. So these are all caused by structural heart defects. And used to be more common, like when people had um, a rheumatic fever, right, which we know we can cure penicillin, but those people may have issues with their valves, okay, most commonly the tricuspid valve or the valve over the right side of the heart, okay, they can develop issue with that valve just because of an infection that's then damaged that valve. And then the last type of heart, big type of heart disease is heart failure. Now, this is a serious condition that develops after the heart becomes damaged or weakened. And the two most common causes of heart failure are having a heart attack where there's muscle that didn't get good oxygen to the heart. And now that part of the heart doesn't function as well. Some people may require a stent to save the muscle of the heart and prevent heart failure. But if you don't get that, then your heart can fail. And you notice that by the amount of blood that pumps out of the heart is now decreased. And when you get an echocardiogram, that amount of blood is called the ejection fraction. And so you may hear people say normal ejection fraction is 60 to 65%, meaning your heart is never going to pump 100% of blood out of it. But normal, meaning a healthy heart, pumps about 60 to 65% of blood out of it. If you have heart failure, you may have a number like, oh, my heart's pumping 40% of the blood out of it or 30% or 10%, okay? So the lower that number is, the worse your heart disease is or your heart failure is, okay? Now, once you have heart failure, there is no cure for heart failure. You're always in heart failure, but with early diagnosis, lifestyle modification, and some medication, this could allow you to live a full active lifestyle 
and it could stop you from dying and stop you from staying out of the hospital. But you have to modify your lifestyle if you then get a diagnosis of heart failure. Very, very important. Otherwise, your heart function can continue to deteriorate. Now, many cardiac diseases during pregnancy are still under investigation. And, and we don't understand why some people get heart disease, specifically in the pregnancy, that did not have it before, and some people do. Some people have heart disease that they had before that may not have been unmasked until pregnancy. And then pregnancy can worsen that pre-existing condition because of all of the changes that happen in pregnancy. Or they may develop a new disease process because of the complex hormonal changes um, that occur in pregnancy. And when you have heart disease, that's not explained by anything except the pregnancy and somebody that was otherwise healthy, then we call that peripartum cardiomyopathy or heart disease just because of hormonal changes in the pregnancy. Now, pre-existing conditions that can predispose pregnant women to cardiovascular disease include, but are not limited to, hypertension or high blood pressure that was diagnosed outside of the pregnancy. Again, diabetes is a risk factor for heart disease in general. It also predisposes pregnant women to getting heart, um, peripartum cardiomyopathy as well. If you have congenital heart disease, then you are more likely to get peripartum cardiomyopathy or heart disease that's exacerbated just because you are pregnant. And then um, particularly since a lot of women are having babies who have heart repairs, you are more likely to, to definitely have worsening of your heart disease in pregnancy. So some people categorize that as just worsening of heart disease. Some people say since you had a repair, you no longer have um, signs of heart disease. So then when you become pregnant, if you have new signs of heart disease, that's now considered peripartum cardiomyopathy or heart disease that's affected because of the pregnancy. Either way, you having a congenital heart defect does predispose you to heart disease that is worsened during the pregnancy. Now, why is it that heart disease is such a big deal? Well, if you've been listening to the podcast, then I've said this on several occasions and not just episodes dealing with heart and hypertension, but because changes in blood volume affects every organ system in your body. It affects your brain. It affects your kidneys. It affects your liver. It affects your heart. And that is because those organs have to work a lot harder. Okay. Your blood volume drastically increases in pregnancy, almost doubling by just six weeks of pregnancy. And then it gradually increases from there. And this creates a great deal of stress on the heart and the vasculature. Now, mind you, normal changes of pregnancy, okay? We're not talking about people with heart disease. We're not talking about people that have hypertension. We're not talking about people that have diabetes. Everybody, the normal person, the normal 22-year-old athlete that's walking around has a lot of strain on their heart and their heart is working overtime just because they are pregnancy, pregnant. And remember, when your, your heart is working because now your blood volume is double. So guess what? Your heart has to pump twice as much blood to circulate through your body. And so if, if your heart is already struggling and you didn't know it, then all of a sudden you double the volume. Then you can start to see and feel the changes that your heart is going through. Now, just so we can recap, these are the changes your heart normally goes through in somebody that's healthy. So your cardiac output or the amount of blood your heart puts out 
increases by 25 to 50% by five weeks of pregnancy. So your heart is forcing out close to twice as much blood. This is a considerable increase in cardiac output. And it's the reason why pre-existing heart disease has dramatic effects. And if you don't feel it in the first trimester, if you have underlying heart disease, it is usually felt if untreated by the third trimester. Your heart rate also increases, or that's the speed of which blood is pumping from your heart. That increases by 25% in the first trimester. So you have the overall output, which is the amount of blood that's pumping times the rate of which is pumping increases in the first trimester, okay? Then you have the resistance in your actual vessels that's increasing. That's the amount of pressure your blood vessels need to actually help blood flow through them. That forced amount of pressure actually decreases the resistance in pregnancy. Because why? Your vessels are more dilated because they have to be more compliant. They have to be more dilated to allow a larger volume to go through them. And this change, that resistance decreases by about 30%. So you have your heart rate and the amount of blood pumping out of your heart going up. You have your blood vessels that are decreasing resistance, meaning they're more dilated to allow more blood to go through them. And all of these changes impact the function of your heart. It also impacts the function of your kidneys and everything else that play a part in the function of your heart. Now, because of these changes, your blood pressure usually decreases, particularly early in the pregnancy. This value usually normalizes and even slightly increases by the end of the pregnancy, especially if you have a pre-existing condition like high blood pressure. So that's why when people talk about how well controlled their blood pressure is in the beginning of pregnancy, we have to remind ourselves that this is a normal phenomenon that happens. Your blood pressure drops a little bit in the first trimester just because your vessels are more dilated to allow for more blood flow through them because your heart is pumping a lot more volume out. Then as you go through the pregnancy, people that have normal blood pressure, their blood pressures tend to level out and then can even go down in the third trimester. People that have underlying vascular disease, their blood pressures drop in the first trimester, generally level out in the second, and then have a tendency to go slightly up in the third trimester, okay? So this is why if you have high blood pressure, you still need to be managed and monitored very closely through your pregnancy because we can't really predict when exactly your blood pressures are going to start to go up. Is it going to be late in the second trimester? Is it going to be earlier in the third trimester or late in the third trimester? And we also have to remember that high blood pressure puts you at risk for heart disease. So we're still monitoring for those symptoms of heart disease. And we also have to remember that if you have heart disease or high blood pressure, that puts you at an increased risk for getting things specific to pregnancy like preeclampsia, which is when you have high blood pressure and vascular damage, which we look for as protein in your urine. Preeclampsia means before. Eclampsia is when you have a seizure in pregnancy just from the hormones from the placenta, okay? That puts you at risk for ongoing heart disease, worsening of heart disease, heart attack, and stroke, okay, which are types of cardiovascular disorders. So preeclampsia and heart disease go hand in hand because the hormones that increase your risk of preeclampsia are also going to be the hormones that lead to more constriction in the third trimester of your vessels, which increase your blood pressure, 
which predispose you to worsening heart disease. So we have to monitor you very, very closely. And if you remember, black and brown women by themselves have an increased risk of preeclampsia, which increases your risk of heart disease. And we also need to remember that if you get preeclampsia in the pregnancy, that puts you at an increased lifetime risk of getting heart disease later in your life, okay? So people with preeclampsia should be screened for heart disease after pregnancy at their annual visits. We should be asking them symptoms about palpitations, shortness of breath. We should be encouraging them to do some cardiovascular activity every day to reduce your risk of cardiovascular disease later on in life. So remember, if you've had preeclampsia in the past, this is not to scare you. This is to make sure you are armed with knowledge to know what the warning signs are so that later on you will not be someone with undiagnosed heart disease or uncontrolled hypertension that we could have taken steps after your pregnancy to prevent you from happen, having 10 years later, okay? So all of this is so you can advocate for yourself and so you can talk to your physician about making sure you are screened because although we say it on this podcast, although we learn these things in medical school, when you have people that are far removed from taking care of pregnant women, they may not remember that if you get gestational diabetes, you have a 50% lifetime risk of getting type two diabetes later on. They may not remember that if you have preeclampsia in the pregnancy, that you have a 20% risk of getting heart disease in 10 years. They don't remember that stuff. So it's gonna be up to you to advocate for yourself. And they may not look at your pregnancy history to see that you had it. So you have got to remind people of the things that you had in pregnancy so that they know how to screen you going forward. So hopefully you're listening to these things so that you can remind your primary care provider, hey, I had preeclampsia. What does that mean for me? What do I need to do to reduce my risk of heart disease later on so that we can take steps now so that we can be here later on to see our children's children graduate from high school? So let's talk about the symptoms of heart disease. So let's say you've never had hypertension. Um, you've never, you don't have a family history of heart disease or you don't know what to look for, right? So the main symptoms of heart disease are gonna be chest pain, meaning sharp stabbing chest um, pain in the middle of your chest, or some people say behind my breast on the left side. Okay, that's a symptom of heart disease. Shortness of breath or difficulty breathing. Can't catch your breath readily. Lightheadedness, dizziness, you just over overwhelmingly tired and you really haven't done much, right? You're just cleaning your house and you're just about to fall out. You need to take breaks frequently. Now you have swelling or fluid retention in your legs, okay? Those are symptoms of heart disease. Now, these are very vague symptoms, okay? So if you have these symptoms, don't go thinking, oh my God, my heart is failing on me. I'm not saying that because some of the things you can experience in pregnancy, these same symptoms, and they're just pregnancy symptoms, right? Even outside of pregnancy, you can have these same symptoms. You can have chest pain and it can be just acid reflux. You take some Tums and it goes away. You can have issues with shortness of breath and you have asthma. You can have fatigue and it's just because you're pregnant or you're not pregnant, you're dehydrated. You've had COVID lately. You have nausea and vomiting. You have an autoimmune disorder like hypothyroidism. All of this can be explained by this, okay? Now the swelling, if you're pregnant, it's very common to have swelling, especially in the third trimester. But if you're swollen and you're not pregnant, we need to figure out why are you so swollen in your limbs, right? 
And for me, if you have swelling that's unexplained, it's either kidneys or your heart. And we need to figure out why that is. And if it's not the kidneys and it's not your heart, let's make sure we don't have what's called peripheral vascular disease or disease at the level of the periphery, meaning just the vasculature in itself with normal heart function. That is still a type of heart disease, okay? Peripheral vascular disease is a type of heart disease, okay? So we need to make sure we're ruling that out as well if we make sure our kidneys and our um, heart are normal. Now, symptoms that could indicate a heart attack, and I wanted to make sure I address this because I know there's some people that are planning for pregnancy or that may be listening to this just as a knowledge for women's health, or you may be taking care of patients that are pregnant or doing GYN care. So symptoms of heart, of heart attack, okay, in and out of pregnancy, chest pain, sharp stabbing chest pain, or feeling heaviness. It feels like somebody's sitting on me, heaviness, pressure breathlessness. You just can't catch your breath. Okay. Palpitations are feeling like your heart's racing or heart's fluttering all the time. Nausea. You can't explain it. You're not sick. You don't have a fever, but you just feel nauseated. And you may even vomit if you have a heart attack. Stomach pain. Your stomach is right below your um, uh, breastbone. Okay. Um, it's at the very top of your abdomen, right, right below your breast. You may have stomach pain. That may actually be your heart and not your stomach. And your heart sits right on top of your diaphragm, so you may have referred pain there. Sweating, you, you, you're just sweating all of a sudden. to be a sign of a heart attack. You have arm pain, jaw pain, back, or even leg pain. These are all because of referred pain, okay? Because your nerve that supplies your diaphragm, the heart is sitting on top of that. So that also innervates a lot of other places in your body. And so you can have that type of referred pain as well. It's very common for people to have arm pain um, and have a, a heart attack. Feeling a choking sensation, okay? You just feel like you're coughing, you're choking, okay? You're choking because you're not getting oxygen. Swollen ankles, like I say, fluid retention, and then just excessive fatigue. You just feel like you got to go to sleep. Those are all symptoms of a heart attack. But again, these are all very vague symptoms that can be explained by other things. So if you're saying, you know, I don't have anything else, all of a sudden I have these symptoms, you need to get checked out, okay? And you also need to make sure we keep a blood pressure handy. If you have risk factors for heart disease, if you have high blood pressure, if you have diabetes, I would argue that you need a blood pressure cup in your house. So check your blood pressure. If your blood pressure is super low or super high and you have any of these symptoms, then you need to go to the hospital. If your blood pressure is super low or super high, you need to go to the hospital anyway because it should never be super low because that means that your body is going into shock. It should never be super high because that means you're at risk for a heart attack or a stroke. So even if you don't have any symptoms, if you have a blood pressure of 180, 200, over 100, that means go to the hospital. That's a risk factor that you can have a heart attack or a stroke, even if you're completely asymptomatic. And none of this, again, is meant to scare you because people, I've read your, I read your comments. I read your reviews. And some people are a little bit scared of the podcast and say, oh, Dr. Pliny is trying to scare us into seeing a high-risk specialist. Trust me, I'm not trying to scare you into seeing me. There's not enough MFMs in the United States, okay? I'm, I don't need to scare people into seeing me. But I am trying to make sure you are aware of some of the things you need to look for, particularly if you have risk factors for heart disease. And I think it's also important for you to know these symptoms, even if you don't have a heart disease, because guess what? It's so common 
that somebody at your job has heart disease and they've never talked about it. Somebody in your family has heart disease and they never talked about it. And they may be experiencing these symptoms and you will get triggered by this when they start to complain of these vague symptoms and say, let me get the blood pressure cuff. Because I remember on Pregnancy Pearls, they said that this jaw pain could be a heart attack. Let me make sure that I am taking the steps and knowing the warning signs so that I can get my loved one or family member to a hospital. That can be life-saving for you. And that can also be life-saving for a family or a loved one that you come in contact with, with these symptoms. So this is not to scare you, but it is to make sure we are aware. So you can't say you didn't know. And luckily, hopefully, we do all these things and we, we've taken this knowledge in to reduce our risk of heart disease later on in life, okay? Now, if you have these symptoms, let someone know ASAP. And I say that because the first thing you should do if you're alone and you have these symptoms is call a friend. Send out mass text messages and say, I'm just letting y'all know I'm having chest pain. I'm calling 911. Or can somebody come over here? I'm calling 911. Can you meet me over here at my house? Because what we don't want you to do is have symptoms, chalk it up to acid reflux or something, take Tums, and the Tums didn't work, you lose consciousness and nobody knows you have the symptoms. Nobody knows to check on you. We don't want you driving and then all of a sudden you have chest pain, you get in an accident. We don't want you driving and you lose consciousness. So you always want to let somebody else know so that they can take you to the hospital or call the ambulance while you're texting your family and, and let the ambulance pick you up, okay? And let somebody take you. It is safest for you not to be on the road yourself if you're having these symptoms. It is safest for you to call 911 if you have any symptoms. And I would say if you're having heart pain and chest pain, not a headache, but chest pain, low-dose aspirin is your friend. You should chew one on your, on your way to the hospital. And if EMS comes and you say chest pain, that's the first thing I'm going to give you is a low-dose aspirin because that has been known to be life-saving. And we want to make sure that that is on board to reduce your risk a complete heart blockade um, and, or con a complete constriction, you know, that those those uh, red blood cells can't get through to the to furnish the heart, to supply the heart. But low dose aspirin can be life saving. So we always want to make sure you have chest pain that you actually are chewing a baby aspirin. Now, if you have a headache and we think you're having a stroke, there are different types of strokes. So we don't want you to just take aspirin if you feel like you're having stroke like symptoms. OK, there are different types of stroke. So you always want to call 911 and get to the hospital immediately if you're having a 10 out of 10 headache. Now, treatment for cardiac disease really depends on the severity and the cause. So for cardiac disease, if you don't have a heart attack, you're likely going to be on either a beta blocker, which is called metoprolol, or the trade name will be Toprol XL, extended release, or a calcium channel blocker like Norvaz, Cardizem, Nifedipine. Those are commonly prescribed calcium channel blockers. Now, for those with arrhythmia or irregular heart rate, you're going to be on medicines to control your heart rate. For some, you might have to have a stent placed if you've had a history of a heart attack, which will require blood thinners during pregnancy. Heart disease can be super complicated. We went through the four most, most common types of heart disease, but there are a lot of different types of heart disease. And even within those categories, there are a lot of different causes and they're treated very differently. So you have to make sure that before you get pregnant, you are planning and you know what the condition of your heart is, especially if you have a high risk for having heart disease. You want to make sure you know if you have it before you get pregnant. And then once you have 
heart disease, if you decide to get pregnant or if you're pregnant and you find out you have heart disease, then you have to talk to your primary care provider. You should be seen by a cardiologist. You should be seen by a maternal fetal medicine doctor in addition to your OBGYN so that we can collaborate to decide the best possible treatment for you to keep you and your baby as healthy as possible to help you navigate safely through that pregnancy. All right, so now that you know a little bit more about heart disease and pregnancy, let's go to some cases and questions. Our first case is a 42-year-old who is 16 weeks pregnant with her first child. She has a history of heart disease, but reports that her blood pressure was controlled at the beginning of pregnancy. And since she didn't know if mertoprolol was safe in pregnancy, she discontinued it. Now her blood pressure are 160 over 112, and she has swelling in both legs up to right above her ankles. She gets very short of breath with walking. She was referred to you for consultation and management. Based on the fact that she has a known history of heart disease, we don't know what's causing her heart disease. And now based on the fact that she has swelling, she gets short of breath with walking, she probably has one of the classes of heart failure, okay? So heart failure happens when you're not pumping the proper amount of blood out of your heart. And so as a result, you become symptomatic. Depending on how symptomatic you are and the amount of blood that you're pumping out of your heart, meaning your ejection fraction, that is telling of the class of heart disease that you have, okay? So for me, this person probably has um, heart failure. So this person needs to see a cardiologist ASAP. ASAP, they need to see a cardiologist. And it's with somebody that has 160 over 112. The first thing I'm going to do with these symptoms is admit them to the hospital. Okay. You need inpatient management. We need to work you up for heart failure. And we need to put you on something that's going to help with your heart function. And some people would not admit these patients and would just start them on medicine and do things outpatient. But in pregnancy specifically, with her being 16 weeks, we need to make sure that her heart is functioning properly and she's not going to be somebody that's a setup for a heart attack during pregnancy just because her heart is not pumping and getting enough blood to supply itself. So let's talk about the New York, New York Heart Association functional classes, which is abbreviated NYHA. So if you have heart disease, you might have seen this on your chart, but that, and that's what it means. New York Heart Association. That's why, what NYHA means, the functional classes. And so if you have a known history of heart disease and you have no symptoms of heart failure, even if your ejection fraction is less than 65%, then that's class one. That's the best class you can be. So your ejection fraction is mildly decreased, but you have no symptoms. Class one. Class two is when you have symptoms of heart failure with moderate exertion, such as walking up two blocks of steps, two flights of steps. If you get exerted, then you have class two, okay? If you have symptoms of heart failure with minimum exertion, like just walking around the block or with one flight of stairs, then you have class three heart failure. If you have symptoms at rest, then you have class four heart failure. Those are your New York Heart Association classes of heart failure. So this patient, based on that classification, would at least have class two or maybe even three 
heart failure because I don't know how much walking. It says very short of breath with walking, but it didn't say how far. So she either has class two or class three heart failure based on symptoms alone. Okay. Now, some of this is going to be worsened and complicated because some people in pregnancy have completely normal heart function, but can get a little winded because they're carrying a load. Now, 16 weeks, should you be winded? No, you should not be winded. You're not carrying that much of a load for you to feel like you can't catch your breath or you can't walk around the block. Okay. 36 weeks, maybe so, right? You might need to take a break. You might have to walk a little bit slower. You might have to take a rest, but you shouldn't have chest pain, shortness of breath, palpitation. We're just doing everyday things, okay? And I would argue you also shouldn't be hypertensive. And so if you're hypertensive with these symptoms, then I'm going to do an echo on you and check your heart function regardless. Why? Because I've already said preeclampsia puts you at risk for cardiomyopathy or heart disease because of the pregnancy. You can have both. You can have preeclampsia and cardiomyopathy at the same time, all right? So first off, I'm going to admit her to the hospital. I'm going to consult our cardiology friends to help us out. They'll do a maternal echo or a ultrasound of the heart to see how much blood is pumping in and out of the heart to make sure our heart is healthy. I'm going to start magnesium. That's going to help make sure she doesn't have eclampsia or get a seizure while I'm making sure I'm evaluating her to see if she actually has preeclampsia. If she has preeclampsia, that means she has protein in her urine and vascular damage. But remember, she's only 16 weeks. So my guess is heart disease. You can't get preeclampsia this early. The earliest I've ever had somebody get preeclampsia is about 19 weeks, and she's only 16 weeks, okay? So if she were further along, I would start on magnesium. Since she's not, I'm not going to do that, okay? I'm going to get a heart disease workup. I'm going to get the echo. I'm going to see what her heart function is, and I'm going to start her on a medicine. Now, the medicine I decide to start her on is going to depend on what's going on with her heart. If she has... If she was on Toprol before, which sounds like she was on Metoprol before, but she discontinued it, this is safe in pregnancy. I would restart it to see if that controlled her blood pressure. If she was not on this before, then I would make sure I waited until I got the echo to see what type of heart disease she has. Acutely, I would give her a beta blocker or what's called labetalol to give her, get her blood pressures down pretty quickly. So I'm going to give that IV while I'm waiting for the echo and everything to be done in this point. Then once I get her on something that's controlling her, then I have to decide, is this somebody that needs to be on Lasix to get rid of some of the fluid if her heart's not pumping effectively? Or is this somebody that does not need to be on Lasix? And depending on what type of heart disease she has would tell me whether or not she wanted to be, she needs to be on this. Based on the fact that she's been on Toprol before, this is something that's going to lower her blood pressure and cause more dilation of the vessels. She probably would benefit from a little bit of Lasix, okay? I also want to make sure I'm looking at her pressure in her lung. Some people that have underlying vascular disease can also have what's called pulmonary hypertension, meaning high blood pressure just in the lung, okay? That can be very dangerous in pregnancy. It increases your risk of having a complication in pregnancy, including not making it through the pregnancy or dying in pregnancy. Depending on the degree of pulmonary hypertension or high blood pressure just in the lung, and you can have normal blood pressure, meaning that they're taking your arm, and high blood pressure at the level of the lung, you can have that, okay? 
So I want to make sure she does not have that. Depending on if she has that or not is going to tell me whether she needs to be on something specific to treat high blood pressure within the lung. Okay. So sort of like a, a sildenafil or Rogam. Okay. That is something that treats high blood pressure just in the lung. So we would need to weigh the safety of these drugs in pregnancy based on the risk. And I would say if you have pulmonary hypertension, I'm going to do whatever I need to do to control that because that's the thing that can cause you not to survive. If somebody has severe pulmonary hypertension or even severe high blood pressure that's not well controlled, that may be a reason that your MFM doctor or your cardiologist may tell you about an increased risk of not making it through the pregnancy, especially if you're somebody that has a, a low functioning heart. These are reasons that we have to have very tough decisions and conversations at something like 16 weeks to say, you're not viable yet and your heart is already not functioning at the level it needs to function. Do you need to continue the pregnancy? And the reason I bring this up is because some patients that we counsel think that we don't want them to have children or, or they think that we are trying to make them have an abortion. This is not about this, y'all. Heart disease and pregnancy is very serious. And when we talk about things that increase your risk before you even make it to the point that a baby can survive without you, if you have an increased risk of not even making it to that point, we're always going to count you and say, it's not safe to continue the pregnancy. Now, some people choose to continue it, and that's fine. We'll do whatever we can do to help you get through that pregnancy. That may mean that you're going to have a preterm delivery. We may be getting you to 32 weeks and getting out. We may be getting to 30 weeks and getting out. It really depends on the degree of heart disease. This is why a preconception consultation is so important. People that have underlying heart disease, uncontrolled high blood pressure, need to know what medicines are safe in pregnancy and which ones aren't. Your heart function needs to be tested before pregnancy so that we don't have to have difficult conversations and discussions during the pregnancy about the safety of continuing the pregnancy. If we optimize your heart function before the pregnancy, get you on blood pressure medicines that get your ejection fraction up, you can get safely through the pregnancy. Having heart disease does not mean you cannot have a baby. It doesn't mean that. It means that you need to make sure your heart function is optimized before you have a baby. Can your ejection fraction increase? Yes, it can. We can put you on medicines to increase your ejection fraction. Does that get rid of the heart disease? No. Once you're diagnosed with heart disease, you always have to heart disease. But we can do things and make lifestyle modifications so that we can get you healthy enough to get ready to be pregnant. So it's just about making sure you're healthy enough to make it through the pregnancy. That may mean taking three to six months to put you on medicines that are acceptable, losing a little bit of weight so your heart's not working so hard so that your ejection fraction can go up and you'll be ready to get pregnant. Okay. This is also why this patient did not know whether they should continue the medicine or not. If you ever want to get pregnant and you have heart disease, we always want to put you on something safe in the pregnancy before you get pregnant. Because guess what? One size doesn't fit all. You could be on a blood pressure medicine that is you switched and it's safe in pregnancy, but it's not a drug that's controlling you. We want to make sure it's safe in pregnancy and that's controlling you so that then when you get pregnant, we know how to adjust your medications going forward. The case pearl for this case is never abruptly discontinue your medications without being put on a safe alternative. And I would say case pearl, 
Number two is if you have risk factors or known heart disease, always get a preconception consultation before you get pregnant. All right, medical intern, what's our next case? Our next case is a patient that is 36 years old with a history of a mechanical heart valve replacement two years ago. She was told that her heart function is completely normal according to her last echo that she had two months ago. Recently, she had a positive pregnancy test. The patient is taking warfarin and would like to discontinue since she knows that it can cause birth defects in pregnancy. She was referred to you for further consultation and management. This is a sticky, sticky point, right? I'm glad that your heart function is normal. That's great. You had a heart valve replacement, so we know that you probably don't have any issues with the function of your valves, but it still doesn't change the fact that you have a mechanical heart valve. The reason that the type of heart valve matters is because mechanical heart valves are more prone to clot. It's a foreign object. They work great, but they are 10 times more likely to clot off. The reason that's important is if you have clots that are being thrown from your heart, that puts you at risk for a stroke. It also puts you at risk for a pulmonary embolus. So those things can literally cause you to lose life, okay? So it's very important that if you have a mechanical heart valve that you not abruptly discontinue your anticoagulation, okay? Usually we would talk to you about this before you get pregnant, but some people just get pregnant. And I, and I, and I say that because sometimes you have to have pregnancies aren't planned. And if you're not on a birth control, then, and you're having sex, then you can get pregnant, right? And there are certain birth controls you can't use if you have heart disease. Like you can't use a lot of the, the estrogen-containing estrogen birth controls. You could do an IUD, and that would help prevent pregnancy. But if you're somebody that's trying to get pregnant, I would encourage you to talk to your doctor about the type of anticoagulation before you get pregnant. Because you are right, warfarin does increase your risk of um, defects in babies. And it does have a high risk of causing issues with um, facial defects and heart defects in babies. And we don't want that to happen. What we usually do for people that have mechanical heart valves is we give them a choice. One, I have to do your ultrasound to see how far along you are. If you're already eight weeks, we're going to continue the warfarin. There's no reason to switch you. Why? Because the hearts and most of the organs are developed by that time. We can't see them, but your heart starts to develop at six weeks. So whatever damage is done to the heart is already done, right? So if you're already outside of your first trimester, there's no reason to switch you. We just keep you on warfarin and we keep on going. If you are within, like you just found out you got pregnant, right? Last week, you were a couple weeks pregnant. Then we would count to you and say, we can switch you to Lovenox, therapeutic Lovenox, until you are 12 weeks and then switch you back to warfarin. Why do we switch you back? Because a mechanical heart valve has a known increased risk of clotting. It's a known increased risk of giving you a, a thrombo, what's called a thromboembolic event or a clot that travels, okay? And the risk of you having a baby with a defect from warfarin is actually lower than the risk of you getting a complication from a mechanical heart valve. That's how high risk it is to get pregnant with a mechanical heart valve and not continue warfarin. So if you're, you're, if you're almost through the first trimester, we're gonna continue. If you're very early in weeks three to five, then we counsel you and say, listen, this is the risk. You need to be on therapeutic Lovenox. We need to bridge you, meaning you can't stop warfarin. 
there's some overlap time there, okay? Because it takes 24 to 48 hours for us to get a therapeutic level of lovinase. And so in the meantime, you're going to continue warfarin. They work on different pathways, which is why you're not going to bleed to death if you take warfarin and lovinase at the same time. So while we're bridging you from one to the other, we have to make sure you stay anticoagulated because if you come off of you can start to clot. Okay. So we'll bridge you from Lovenox off of Warfarin onto Lovenox. And then once we get you to about 10 weeks, we bridge you back to the Warfarin. That's one option, but you have to understand that there's still the risk of a mechanical heart valve and clotting. Okay. Your decrease, the risk is decreased with Lovenox, but it doesn't negate the risk entirely. Or you can say, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to continue Warfarin and just take my chances, right? We put you, you should be on the lowest effective dose of Warfarin anyway to make sure that what, what's called your INR, that international ratio that tells us how thin or thick your blood is, to make sure that's in a therapeutic level. And once we get you on that lowest effective dose of that, we just continue that through the rest of the pregnancy, Okay. And that INR level is just monitored periodically through pregnancy. So we just have to understand the risk of that. But no, you cannot just discontinue it, okay? It's too high risk to just stop all anticoagulation in pregnancy, especially if you have a mechanical heart valve or a stent placed in pregnancy. You need to be bridged to at least Lovenox, okay, which is another type of blood, blood uh, thinner. That's an injection. And bridge back to your warfarin specifically if you have a mechanical heart valve, okay? Very important. The only exception to not bridging at all is the mechanical heart valve. That's when we give people the, cho the choice because the recommendation is that warfarin is still the safest thing to do even with the risk to the baby. Other type of things that require anticoagulation like a stent or other types of heart valves, we would recommend bridging and switching to something safer in pregnancy but the mechanical heart valve is still that risk. And you, as a mother, has, have to understand the risk to you versus the risk to your child. The case pearl for this case is, at present, warfarin is the safest anticoagulation for use in pregnant women with mechanical heart valves specifically. All right, medical intern, do we have any more email questions? Yes, this is the email question, and it says, Dr. Plenty, I'm 12 weeks pregnant and have a history of a heart attack three years ago. Before pregnancy, I was taking daily low-dose aspirin and atorvastatin. Is this safe to continue during pregnancy? So generally speaking, statin drugs, statin drugs are, blood, uh, are drugs that help decrease your total cholesterol, okay? It's going to help decrease your bad cholesterol, and some of those drugs also help increase your Good cholesterol, your HDL, which is what we want to do. We want your LDL or your your uh, your bad cholesterol to decrease, while your HDL is which your good cholesterol increase. And so statins, because they block cholesterol synthesis, or they they block um, you know breakdown of of fat cells. Okay, they they cause more breakdown of fat cells. They're not considered acceptable in pregnancy unless there are extreme reasons why somebody that's had multiple heart attacks and extremely high cholesterol and we think you're at extreme high risk for another heart attack and you happen to be pregnant and you're past the first trimester yeah we would tell you to continue it but 
that is always individualized. As a general rule of thumb, statins or drugs that end in statin, S-T-A-T-I-N, are usually not considered safe, right? We usually discontinue it. Why? Because the brain needs fat, okay? The brain needs fat. Cholesterol synthesis starts the hormone cascade. We, we need that in pregnancy. And for brain development, you also need fat. So we don't want to do anything that's going to break down um, the synthesis uh, or cause the, the breakdown of that, okay? So that's why statins tend to not be recommended in pregnancy. We usually take you off of the statin while you're pregnant and put you back on it right after. And usually that, that you know, seven, eight-month period that you're off of it, usually it's not going to make that big of an impact on your cholesterol, typically, right? So that's why we say this is temporary. We just take you off of it. A statin is something that's a long-term fix. It's not something that drops your cholesterol overnight anyway. And so we usually take you off of it and put you back on it after pregnancy with, of course, some a couple of exceptions for extreme cases. Now, low-dose aspirin, you should stay on, okay, in pregnancy. Now, remember, we love aspirin in pregnancy. Unless you have a reason not to be on aspirin, like you have vaginal bleeding early in pregnancy, we see a big, you know, separation of, uh, of the gestational sac or the sac the baby's in from the wall of placenta. We see blood in the uterus. Those are reasons we would tell you not to be on aspirin. Otherwise, we want you to be on aspirin. Remember, people that have high blood pressure and heart disease have an increased risk of preeclampsia. You've had heart disease because you've had a heart attack. You have heart disease. So we want to decrease your risk of um, preeclampsia. Remember, that's high blood pressure and vascular damage caused by hormones secreted from the placenta. Anything we can do to reduce your risk of preeclampsia is what we want to do. And so I will continue you on low-dust aspirin through the whole pregnancy, and we will stop you at 36 weeks, like we would with anybody that has a risk factor for preeclampsia. And now the most recent studies say it's not even worth stopping at 36 weeks. used to make us feel good so you can have an epidural, but now we know that a low-dose aspirin is not a reason that you cannot get an epidural or regional anesthesia. So we would just need to make sure that your anesthesiologist talks to you. Anybody that has a history of a heart attack should talk to their anesthesiologist prior to delivery anyway, because they'll have to be uh, manage your blood pressure a little bit closer while you're going through the laboring process. And they may need to adjust their medication dosages when they're giving you different types of anesthesia medicines. Okay. So with you, you need a consult in the third trimester with the anesthesiologist. I would tell you to continue your low-dose aspirin and talk to your OBGYN or your um, maternal fetal medicine specialist about whether or not you should continue your statin, depending on what else is going on in your history. They would advise you better um, about which way to go with that one. But aspirin, yes, 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 yes. Unless you're having issues with bleeding in pregnancy, you should continue that aspirin through the whole pregnancy. All right, medical intern, do we have any more email questions or cases? And she's shaking her head, no. So thanks you guys so much for listening to Pregnancy Pearls Podcast. I hope you learned a little bit more about heart disease and how heart disease uh, is impacted by pregnancy and how pregnancy impacts heart disease. If you enjoy the show, make sure to share with your friends, rate and comment. If you or someone you know has had a pregnancy complication or unique pregnancy situation, let me know about it. Email me at pregnancypearls at gmail.com to your topic or case discussed on one of our podcast episodes. Also, remember to follow me on Instagram at pregnancy underscore pearls and Facebook at pregnancy pearls. You can also feel free to check out the website, which is www.drnicoleplenty.com for free pregnancy downloadables. And for goodness sake, 
catch up on all four seasons of the podcast. In closing, remember to advocate for yourself. You are your biggest advocate and no one knows what's going on with your body except for you. Thanks for listening. Bye. Pregnancy Pearls is hosted by Dr. Nicole Lee Plenty. Produced by Nicole Plenty and Janine Brunson Johnson. Executive producer Ken Johnson. Find Pregnancy Pearls on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Please subscribe and rate. The content of this podcast is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice for diagnosis or treatment of individual medical conditions. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified health provider with specific questions regarding a medical condition. Pregnancy Pearls is a mean old lion media production.